Hi there, this is Elliot. Before we get to the episode, I just want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, where we post content regularly, including the latest episodes. And while you're there, share a link to the new CCO podcast with your network. Thanks so much. Yesterday, I chatted online with a customer service agent that I'm almost certain was a robot. Later, I asked a speaker in my kitchen for a good substitute for an ingredient I was missing. What we see with tools like Siri and Alexa is the consumerization of AI. It's a trend that's bound to show up in offices in the coming years. Ask your computer to pull that list out of a database. Respond to some of those emails you haven't gotten to, or schedule a meeting. Google Duplex, if you've heard of it, is already convincingly pretending to be a human so that it can call a salon and book an appointment for you. Google it, it's a real thing. But adapting to the new technology isn't the real challenge for companies. According to Alan Marks, the CCO at ServiceNow, what leaders really need to focus on is purpose and culture, helping us as humans to learn how to work collaboratively with these new systems. On this episode of The New CCO, we'll hear from Alan about the future of work and how the CCO can help lead their enterprise through the coming disruption. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Tell me a bit about your background and the work that you do at ServiceNow. Well, my background is in consumer and, and consumer tech, you know, Nike, Gap, eBay. And this is my first experience in B2B enterprise software, enterprise tech. ServiceNow is a cloud-based SaaS company. Uh, we focus on digital workflows that uh, deliver great experiences for employees and companies and unlock productivity. You know, you hear a lot of rhetoric about the future of work and digital transformation. Well, we're one of the platform cloud-based SaaS companies that are helping enable that both in the private sector as well as in the public sector. I'm interpreting that to mean the systems that people are using to engage with each other or with the work that they're doing. That, that's right, that's right. So think of any work process. Uh, we bring software to bear to help automate those work processes. So I think the business case is very clear here. Companies will be attracted to the efficiency, the productivity, um, but people are worried that not only the change will be difficult to adjust to, but that it may mean that some jobs are no longer necessary, that they'll either go away or they'll need to be retrained. What do companies need to be thinking about in terms of preparing the workforce? Well. It's a great question. It's a complicated question. Um, and I think it's a broader, it's not, it's not just a business issue, it's a societal issue. And how we think about the ways in which we're preparing the next generation of workers and the way we're going to help um, current workers transition when they're impacted by technology. Throughout time, you know, we have periods of innovation and disruption and dislocation. What people observe and argue is different this time is the acceleration of the change. You know, similar to, I use the iPhone example, you know, the amount of change we've embraced as consumers in a decade is, I think, fairly extraordinary. And so you apply that to the business world, we're seeing that same accelerated pace of change in the way technology is going to radically transform the way businesses operate that perhaps we haven't seen in the past. And that's what scares people. That's what creates anxiety. There's no question, like with any period of disruption, at one end of the spectrum, you're going to have automation of low-skilled jobs that are going to be disruptive to 
a segment of the workforce. And it is not immediately clear whether new jobs will be created or enough new jobs will be created for low-skilled workers to replace the jobs that are being um, automated. And so that's why you see projects and work underway on universal basic income and other ideas like that to try to grapple with this. So I think at that end of the spectrum, we need to be thinking about, well, so what happens? And, and, and you know, a lot of people believe that over time it will work itself out, that in every period of disruption, over time, more new jobs are created that you can't imagine when the disruption is happening, you can't imagine what new work is going to be created. Um, and, and that may be true. We would hope that's true. It's not going to make the period of disruption any less painful for somebody who's lost their job and doesn't have a new opportunity. That's where public and private sector and, and all, all segments of society need to come together and, and help figure that out because you know, working together and collectively to solve those problems benefits everyone. Now I think what's more interesting, that, that's a real issue, but I think more broadly speaking, what gets less attention is as digital transformation occurs, you know, all businesses are going to be software businesses. You know, all businesses are going to be running on platforms. It's, it's back to, you know, I guess it's 10 years ago now, Mark Andreessen's famous op-ed that software is eating the world. And we see that now. And so McKinsey in December put out some research saying that when they look at the trends worldwide, they estimate that 30% of all jobs are going to be disrupted somehow with software. And I, that feels new and different. And so we're all feeling a little anxious about, well, what part of my job may be automated? You know, in, in the traditional, I'm a, if I'm a salaried, professional, white-collar worker, what may happen? Are, are companies just going to need fewer skilled people as well as unskilled people? And so I think that's the broader discussion of we've got to look at the, the entire nature of work. And I think what technology is driving now in the 21st century is the fundamental nature of work is changing and evolving in ways we're just beginning to see and understand. And we're, we're caught in that transition from our notion of 20th century work, certainly the second half of the 20th century, you know, post-World War II and what work felt like and what, what work in a corporation or a career felt like, all of that's changing. And I think in the, in the transition period, it started with the internet and the, the gig economy and things like that that we've been experiencing for 10 or 20 years now. Now we're moving into a phase where at scale across all kinds of businesses and industries, I think I would argue the fundamental nature of work is changing. So these are long-term trends um, that we're seeing accelerated because the technology is, is happening very fast, is evolving very fast. And uh, we're also in a political environment where it becomes challenging to say, well, how are you going to address these issues? Because they're, they're, they're questions of education, they're questions of public policy, they're questions of business responsibility, community responsibility. So I try to be optimistic. I, I hope over time things will work out. I do believe over time economy, innovation, innovation creates new kinds of work that we can't see. Um, things will take care of itself. But I do think we have to be sensitive to what's, the, what's society's responsibility to people who are being dislocated and how do we train people. This is another thing we're looking at at ServiceNow. Uh, I, I, what we think of broadly as digital literacy. I think if you buy into the premise that the fundamental nature of work is changing in the 21st century, 
I think that means that every worker has to have a set of core digital literacy skills. I think it's the, if, if reading, writing, arithmetic were the fundamental skills of the 20th century, you need to add to that core digital literacy skills. I need to be competent and comfortable interacting with artificially intelligent machines. I need to be comfortable talking to a computer. And I think those are gonna be requirements for everybody that we need to build into our education system and we need to build into training programs to make sure workers are prepared to interact in a world where technology software is everywhere. And again, we see it today in our consumer lives. Software is all around our consumer lives. Software, a lot of our households now are running on software. Same thing's happening at work. So the future of work is sort of how we conventionally talk about it, but you're talking about it more in terms of the consumerization of work. So what, give me an example of what that might actually look like for a frontline employee. What, what sorts of changes might they experience through that sort of process? Well, what we see happening around the world in ServiceNow today, we do business all over the world. We have 5,000 enterprise customers. Uh, you know, a lot of our customers are Fortune 100. So think of companies with 100,000 plus employees around the world. And all of these companies are grappling with, from two perspectives. One, you know, how do they drive productivity? They've got legacy systems, systems that don't talk to each other very well. Um, you know, so how do you operate at scale in a more efficient way? And they've got employees now coming to work every day saying, why is it so hard to get stuff done? So think of your own consumer experience. So you know, I'll ask the audience to close their eyes for a minute and think of, think of yourself as a consumer. The iPhone is 10 years old now, right? So in a relatively short period of time, it has totally transformed the way we live our personal lives. We do things today intuitively. We don't think about it. That 10 years ago were unimaginable. And none of us can live without our smartphone. So now we're coming to work going, if I can do all this stuff in my personal life, if I always have Google Maps to tell me where to go, if I don't have to carry money, I can digitally pay for everything, if I can order food and not have to worry about it, if I can get a ride conveniently on any street corner, why is it so hard to get basic work tasks done? Why is it so hard to reset my password at work? If I get locked out of the network, why does it take four hours to, to get that fixed, the printer's broken. Why are we still doing this via spreadsheets? And it reminds me, I remember when the iPhone came out, you know, most IT departments at that time, it was all Blackberry, right? And IT departments were saying, there's no way we would ever support the iPhone or we would support um, uh, even Mac laptops. And look at it today and what happened. At some point in that process, I, from my perspective, C-suite executives started showing up with their iPhone. And they said to their IT department, make this work, right? I love this thing, I wanna use it. We see the same dynamic happening, particularly with millennials today and, 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 and you know, the generation of workers that have grown up digitally native. They're just coming to work with the same expectations in the work environment that they live in their personal lives every day. And they won't tolerate too much friction in that. And so it becomes, I think it's the new war for talent. And there's a lot of conversation out there in the C-suite and particularly in the HR world about employee experiences and how technology enables great employee experiences as a way to attract, retain, and engage the best talent in the world. So we see a couple of trends like that converging that are driving demand for, as every company grapples with digital transformation, 
how do I become a more digitally agile, digitally native company? How, how do I compete today effectively? Um, we see this other dynamic of, well, how do I use software to create a great experience for my employees, to unlock productivity for my employees, and as a result of all that, deliver better outcomes for my customers and better business results. It's interesting space. I think one of the things that's fascinating to me uh, about the company and the sector and the role I'm in now is in many respects, it, it's at the front end of where we see technology going. And, and that's what we think of as the consumerization of technology at work. I have a bet with a coworker about when we will first walk into an office and not see keyboards and mice. Do you want to venture a guess? We can, you can get in on the bet with us if you'd like. Well, I could give you examples <laughs> today. We, 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 uh, we have a customer in New Zealand, a hospital, and the, the doctors and nurses use Alexa to um, place orders, um, record things, um, help manage patient services, and we're the back end of that. So voice, Alexa voice is the front end user interface and our platform is the back end that fulfills the service. So there are examples around the world today where that already is the case. So think of a hospital environment. They're not stopping and writing stuff down on a, on a form anymore or stopping to punch stuff in a keyboard. They're simply going by a station and speaking. And I just think you're going to see more and more. So I think the answer is today. I think the real question is when is it going to become ubiquitous? And like many things where you see accelerated technology change, it, 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 it feels like it's taking forever and then overnight it's everywhere, right? And, and once you do it, you get religion like, wow, I never want to type something again. <laughs> Same thing at work. Make that easier and I'll never go back. Right. So culture is a part of what needs to change. And, you know, there are so many companies, I think, particularly the ones who are, you know, closer to the leading edge on technology, think, you know, their culture is about innovation and, you know, risk-taking. For the typical CCO, what sorts of elements of a culture might they need to be looking at in order to facilitate, you know, this sort of constant evolution in technology? Well, culture is about people at the end of the day, right? Culture is, is what do we do every day? How do we behave? How do we think? How do we interact with each other? And so I think culture has to start with purpose. The companies I admire most in the world, when you look at them closely, they're deeply purpose-driven companies. And again, I can't think of a better function or a function better positioned than communications to help lead that process and lead that conversation in companies. And if you don't have that, the technology is just the technology. So let's talk about your experience along those lines at ServiceNow. Uh, what would you say is the purpose of that organization and how is that reflected in the culture? So we created the purpose when we came in. The, 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 the company had not looked at this in recent years because the company had been growing very fast. And we came in and, and said, well, you know, first and foremost, John's a very purpose-driven CEO. So he looked around and said, how do we, how do we take the culture and how do we take what we do and, and embed it in a forward-looking purpose for the company? And the other thing we observed is the company had reached a certain scale where the company needed more definition. A couple of weeks after I joined the company, I went down to San Diego and, and met the founder, Fred Luddy, for the first time. And Fred's no longer involved in the company and operating role, but he's still on the board. And uh, we just sat in a conference room in our offices in San Diego, and I said, Fred, tell me your story. 
And two hours later, he was still talking. And it struck me that the entire conversation was about people and his vision of how technology enabled people to do their work better. One of Fred's jokes was, Alan, you've really got an incredible job. I, I don't envy you because the one thing we've never done as we've grown this company is we've never clearly defined who we are and what we stand for in a way that people really easily understand. And he said, before I die, I want to be able to go, he calls it his backyard barbecue test. Before I die, I want to be at a, at a backyard barbecue. And when somebody says, what do you do? And I say, service now, they quickly and easily understand who we are and what we do. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, you're the founder guy. I thought you were going to tell me, right? And so we started on this process of, of how do we take all that? Obviously, there was so much goodness in this company. Because, and it was clear in the results and the growth and the customer feedback. The company has a 98% renewal rate, which is extraordinary in enterprise software. So deep customer engagement and obviously a lot of business success. And so we started a series of focus groups with the leadership team. And then we expanded that um, to focus groups around the world, asking employees, you know, again, what's special? What do you think we do? What matters? And then we ended up bringing all that together in a purpose statement that is we make the world of work work better for people. And emphasizing people was a very conscious decision because we also had a deep belief that technology should be in the service of people. And we're not delivering technology for technology's sake. We're delivering back to Fred's founding vision. We're, de we're delivering technology to make your work life better make it more meaningful and ultimately in a ways that benefit the company you work for and, and, and benefits the companies uh, that the, the customers that the company serves. So we make the world of work work better for people. Page issued a new CCO report in 2016 and one of the findings when we looked into how the role of the CCO was changing was that there are a lot more, uh, there's a lot more collaboration across the C-suite, relationships with different members of the C-suite. Is that part of what's going on here as well as, as CCOs are looking to manage this change? No question. And as we look across our customer base, as we look at the way we're operating in our own company, we're seeing new kinds of collaboration and partnerships emerge in the C-suite that wouldn't have existed before. And at the forefront of that is what I, I see in our customers and see in our own company is partnership with the CIO and CHRO, working together to drive those digital experiences that help engage employees and help drive that productivity in the company. And a lot of the customers we're talking to are starting to drive that partnership where traditionally in a lot of companies, in most companies, the CHRO and the CIO worked in silos because in a lot of companies, uh, certainly bigger companies, the CHRO is managing their own technology. They're not dependent on the CIO. And so they, they, they stayed in their silos. I see that merging now. They're coming together in that collaborative east-west partnership to help drive the right outcomes. The other thing I see happening and what we've done at ServiceNow, which I think is an opportunity for any CCO, is to be part of that partnership because ultimately we're trying to drive culture change, we're trying to drive experiences. And so at ServiceNow, myself, the CHRO and the CIO came together early on and built that partnership. And we collaborate constantly on virtually everything that we're doing in the company. And that drives both our internal communications and drives a lot of our external positioning. And so 
we see different relationships forming, and I, I think you'll start to see different relationships with the CFO forming as productivity becomes more and more important in, in, in these kind of uh, digital transformation journeys that companies are, 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 are tackling. And in all of those relationships, the CCO consistently has an opportunity and an important role to play because, again, everything these executives are trying to do ultimately gets down to how do I enable people? How do I drive experience? How do I drive cultural change? It's not, again, just about the process and technology. And so I'm having a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying that, that spirit of collaboration with the CHRO and the CO. And I've never experienced it before. And so I think that's indicative of the changes that are happening. Um, but this is the first company I've worked in where we all looked at each other and said, we really need to be a three-person team here. And it was, it was just a little bit of intuitive and in coming together in a kind of right place at the right time. But again, we see examples of that across our customer base as well. So it sounds like one really clear piece of advice for CCOs is build those relationships across the C-suite because that collaboration is going to be that much more essential. Uh, do you have any other advice for CCOs as they're thinking about these well, issues? Well, I'll double click on that first piece because I, I think one thing that's critically important and, and again, one of the ways in which CCOs are uniquely positioned is we're trained to think horizontally. A lot of executives are traditionally think, trained to think vertically. I manage my function. I manage IT. I manage human resources. And so that partnership for the CCO to come in and say, look, as we think more enterprise-wide, as we start to build different collaborative relationships, the CCO can bring to the table years of experience and looking horizontally, not looking vertically, around how do we drive change? How do we drive the right business outcomes? And so um, I think it's a key strength and skill set that CCOs bring to the table that CIOs and other C-suite executives really value and appreciate because it's not, it's again, it's not how they've traditionally operated or been trained or expected to operate. And so that would be, that would be one thing and really think about that. And again, it gets back to understanding what's the business trying to solve? Um, how are we trying to deploy technology to solve it? And ultimately, how do we drive success? And as we've been talking now for the past hour, Ultimately, that's going to be about communications and leadership and behavioral change and the page principles and everything we've been talking about at Page for 10 years now. And so, you know, what's really exciting for me to be in this enterprise technology world and, and to be at the forefront of all this change is from a communications perspective, the fundamentals are more important than ever. So I would say to every communicator, don't get blinded by the technology. You got to understand the technology and what it's intended to do. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals of communications are more important and more valued and valuable than ever before. So you got to be able to tell great stories. You've got to be able to engage people. You've got to be able to deliver great experiences. You've got to be able to counsel leadership and, and model the right behavior and be able to work across the enterprise to make one plus one plus one equal magic. Alan, thank you. Thank you, great talking with you. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, 
leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks to Rivet Smart Audio for making this season of The New CCO possible. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO. Page and Page Up members, just a quick reminder, the Page Spring Seminar is coming up in New York, April 4th and 5th. If you haven't already registered, I suggest you do that soon. The theme this year is Moment of Truth, Authenticity, Agility, and Action. And it really is a moment of truth when you think about all the dramatic disruption that companies are facing. We'll hear from members and their CEOs about the ways that they're transforming culture, building social value into their business, and creating a whole new function around Comtech. I hope you'll register. And more than that, I hope to see you there.